The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by my buddy Andrew Laird from Rotowire and I've been wanting to do this exact episode for a while. The time seemed right for it. Uh, Andrew and I basically kind of went through how do you play soccer DFS? You know, what is the cash game structure like? What are people doing in tournaments? How would you even go about, you know, 150 maxing one of these big tournaments that they run on DraftKings? Um, you know, it's it's uh, I, I love soccer DFS. It's probably my favorite form of it to play. I also love soccer, and I, I get a lot of questions about, okay, well, how do you play it? How would I even start? I, I know who Lionel Messi is, and that's about it. I hope to, um, you know, answer some of those questions in this episode, and we can always do another episode of these as well if this is something something that you guys end up enjoying. And then we also talked about so rare the uh, Ethereum blockchain NFT soccer fantasy game. Um, I'm very fascinated by it. Andrew is very deep into the so rare streets, and I think that you guys will enjoy that conversation as well. If you want to support the show, you can always subscribe on patreon.com slash takecast for bonus episodes, or you can just leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, everyone, welcoming into the show, Andrew Laird from Rotowire. I have uh, been listening to Andrew's podcast for lots of years. I think probably like five or six years now. Uh, I consider the content that Andrew does on Rotowire for soccer to pretty much be the best. Of course, my friends, Sean and Alex over at Rotogrinders have a, a good product as well. But I, I have to say, when I am going to go research for, uh, you know, a English championship slate or, uh, you know, European championship showdown stuff, it's, uh, it's always rotowire.com slash soccer that I go to. Uh, and, and the idea here is we're going we're gonna to go through how to play soccer DFS, and then we're definitely going to talk about some so rare stuff at the end of the show as well. But Andrew, thank you very much for joining the program. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. It's, uh, those were some very kind words. and. Uh... It's nice to hear them, obviously, because uh, we've tried to focus on soccer a little more than some other DFS content sites, and uh, it's nice to hear that we can provide what uh, what you're looking for. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's actually funny when I started listening to your guys' show. It was actually almost even a different iteration of it. the The first ones I listened to were the MLS ones, but it wasn't even MLS DFS. It was like the MLS.com fantasy yeah. game which i tried to play and i just you know it's just like when you're not when you got to check your lineups and guys are hurt and it's not for real money and you i mean you know how that goes but yeah. 
there was no information for MLS DFS back in the day. And when I was uh, in college, like we would play a lot of MLS because it's kind of one of the only things going on. So like, how did, uh, I mean, before we get into it, like how did, you know, making the Rotowire soccer product a real thing, like kind of how did that come about? So a long time ago, we had a single client uh, that asked for our player notes and it was an old season long ESPN premier league game that they have since gotten rid of. But at some point we were just like, wait, soccer works a lot like NFL. Like it's once a week. Generally uh, we've learned quickly that it's not actually once a week, but you know, once a week, there's some injuries, there's always news. And like, how do we cover it from there? And the MLS game was like surprisingly popular uh, more so because there were a lot of people who didn't want to listen to a bunch of Americans talk about the premier league official game. And so we were like, oh, let's talk about MLS because people think we're experts because we're Americans. And, but the MLS game, season-long game kind of has died off over the years. It's still going, but it's not nearly as popular. But when DraftKings showed up, it was like, it was at the time where knowledge was still an edge. And so we had these really smart MLS guys on. I was not one of them, but I was able to at least find people and ask the right questions. And so the MLS conversations came from there. And then it was just like, wait, DraftKings uh, blows out soccer. And we're like, okay, we, we can do this. We know how to play. We know kind of what the stats everybody's looking for. And, you know, we have a, a deal with, with Opta that helps us build all of our cheat sheets and everything that uh, everybody's always looking for. So, but the podcast, it was like, just, we were seeing what people were interested in and it was like, yeah, let's talk about that. And so we went from draft or MLS season long to, we'll talk about a little DFS. And then we did um, the premier league. And I think it kind of really changed when uh, Jordan Cooper came on because we, we started yeah. taking DFS premier league really seriously at that point, because you've had him on your show a couple of times here and he, he's just a great DFS mind and soccer was where he started. And so it's kind of funny to see people look at him now and they were like, Oh, you play soccer. And it's like, no, no, no. he, he grew up in the, the MLS DFS streets here. So like, that's his, uh, that's where he comes from. And so uh, just, you know, it's taken off from there. And obviously you can now play pretty much like any league you can think of. Uh, DraftKings will offer contests for it as you're playing English championship on this uh, random Wednesday afternoon. Um, but it's yeah, always en en English championship and uh, not, not champions league, but champions league qualifiers. Uh, yep. we got, oh, that's we right. Got, yep. We got young boys. We got Malmo. We got PSV Eindhoven, you know, all these leagues. All and it's amazing. Ones. Yeah. It's amazing that all of the data is there, but uh, I, I feel like this is always where, um, you know, the reason why soccer DFS has had a hard time growing. So it's a couple reasons. The first is, it's kind of like, oh, the first time you play golf or the first time you play NASCAR or something is like, you don't really understand the strategy. You're not familiar with anyone in the player pool. You might not even understand like, oh, okay, what does a forward do? What does a midfielder do? What does a defender do? Like, oh, should I pay up for goalie? Should I pay down for goalie? Like the, the barrier of information is kind of high. And then also this is fairly overlooked, but the fact that you can't really build lineups until an hour before. So like, let's say I wanted it, uh, you know, DraftKings does 150 max, uh, 50K to first for the Champions League semifinal. Well, you can't really start doing it and building all your rules and setting up your things, how you want them to go until the lineups are there. And maybe, and for Champions League, maybe it's not even the best analogy because you'd actually kind of get the lineups early for that. 
So maybe, maybe for the European championships that we just had this summer, you actually see it being kind of problematic because of the staggered starts and staggered starts. If you are trying to do 150 max with good (laughs) rules and correlations and stacks, you know, it's kind of like, you're like, where do I even, where do I even begin? How would I even start doing it? Like it's a, I mean, I have 150 max soccer one time and I play all the slates because it's just, it's just too difficult. Yeah. I think the, you have this weird combination with soccer that everybody who plays it regularly considers it like the best sweat because it's like two hours and you're done. Usually the, the, the staggered starts obviously can extend it, but like you have the two hours uh, now that the premier league on Saturdays is back to that, like you're in and you're out, but that hour before lock is like more important than anything than anything. Uh, and it's not just like making sure your guys are in because if one of your guys is out, you know, is not starting. And then all of a sudden it's not as simple as just plugging in the guy who's filling in for him, like the entire slate changes. And I think uh, that's one of the conversations that I've had with people just about doing soccer content. And it's like, why are you guys giving out so much information, all this, you know, all these plays, blah, blah, blah. And the biggest edge in soccer is knowing what to do once the lineups come out. And we had it just like in the opening Premier League weekend this week or this past weekend, Ryan Bertrand was like the lock play for everybody. And then lineups come out and he's not in because he tested positive for COVID. Nobody knew. And it's like everybody's scrambling like, oh, that changes everything. He was a cheap defender that everybody was going to play both cash games and in tournaments. So um, it's just that being able to adjust on the fly is really like the biggest edge right now. But fundamentally, like the core concepts of like how to build lineups is the same. Like I think, uh, like you were saying, you're playing World Cup qualifiers or excuse me, uh, Champions League qualifiers and EFL championship. And I think some people are like, man, I I don't know anything about those leagues. And so I'm just not going to play them. But like fundamentally, the strategies for each league is, are the same. If you have the, the data that you need, like you can build those lineups. It's a bunch of guys you've never heard of. But like I put it back to like when we all started playing League of Legends like a year and a half ago, like none of us knew what we were doing. But, you know, the strategies and you can just play and soccer completely fits into that that narrative. It's just a matter of jumping in and doing it. Yeah, uh, you know, probably like the most helpful mental cataloging thing to do is just like identifying like archetypes of players. Um, So like young, fast uh, wing players, right, Uh, who are probably like mispriced on a slate, like uh, just for an example, and this name does not matter at all, but uh, this this championship slate that is playing right now, uh, there was a young guy three thousand dollars uh let me i gotta find his name his name was like isaiah isaiah thomas and again it doesn't even matter but the the guy who's doing the dk pricing it's not like that guy is a genius who knows every player that exists in the whole world and he's got endless resources to go and find out so like uh i use a website called transfer market for for this research and i think i talked about transfer market when um Paul Villasmar, PPP was on the show where like, sometimes you don't recognize a guy in a slate and you go and search him and you're like, Oh, this guy is listed at, as having like a, a $3 million value on the transfer market. He plays for this small shitty team. He's like, he's a winger, which means he's going to be crossing the ball a lot. We like crosses like little, little contextual things like that is like, you would never have to do that in MLB. Cause you could go look, yeah. you could for a fan, you'd go pull up his fan graphs. You'd see his zips projection. 
uh, you know, for NFL DFS, everyone knows every player. There's never a player <laughs> in the player pool where you'd be like, oh, you know, I don't know who Andy Isabella is. I don't know who Hunter Renfro is. I don't know who uh, Mike Boone is. Like, you just have a good conception of all of these players. So, like, every, honestly, every slate that I'm playing, I'm probably, like, Googling players for the very first time. And that, But that's a skill. Like, it's a legitimate skill to, like, know that, well, if this guy's like usually a center back and he's now a holding midfielder, you're like, he's probably not going to do much. But yeah, that $3,000 winger, uh, you plug him right in and you just hope that he doesn't play 55 minutes. But it's, you know, with a low salary, it's a risk you can take. And yeah, there's little quirks like that in soccer that are kind of fun because there are leagues all over the world playing at all different times. And so uh, you, you have your pick of what you want to play. And if you've never heard of a guy, yeah, transfer market's awesome to be able to just look up and say, yeah, he's a winger. I'm going to play him. And you just go from there. So like, let's say someone's listening to this and they're like, all right, I'm going to play the EPL slate this Saturday for the first time. They don't eat like, they don't even know. Let's say they don't even know who like Jack Grealish is like mm-hmm. maybe, maybe they know who Messi is and they know who Ronaldo is. And that's it. That's the extent of their soccer knowledge. But like they've played a good amount of DFS before where, how are we, how are we helping them get started? What are we, what are we doing? So the, the worst answer is like, you just get a Rotowire subscription so I can show you, you can use our cheat sheets because they have right. everything. But, but fundamentally, the reason why we made the, the, we built things like we did is because there are certain roles uh, that players play that are important when you're building lineups. And I always kind of joke that building soccer lineups is much more art than science. Oh, but, yeah. But I say that, and I think two of the best DFS soccer players are basically just computers. And so if you take out those two, then yeah, you have to finesse it a little bit. And one of the biggest things is knowing who set piece takers are. And I don't know how, like how basic we're going on soccer, but no, no, let's, let's explain what a set piece (laughs) is, why it's important and how the DK scoring functions for it. Yeah. So, so set piece takers are the guys who take corner kicks or free kicks when basically whenever there's a foul and there's a dead ball and they have to kick it. Like those are the guys that, tend to be prioritized, particularly in cash games, because uh, we get points for crosses and chances created. And you pretty much don't have to know what those even are. You just know, you need to know who the guys are who get a lot of them. And so guys who take these set pieces for favored teams, and you know, these are heavily bet on games. So it's not like we have bad lines of like, who's going to be a favorite. Like we know who the favorites are in every game, which game should be high scoring. And if you take the set piece takers, like you'll know that those guys are going to be popular, both in cash games and and GPPs. Uh, And so if you just start there and you kind of build out in and that's kind of where we separate cash games and and GPP lineups is uh, we always have said for years. And I think there's a little bit of a trend moving away from this. But for years, it was always like if you build build your cash lineup as if no goals are going to be scored. because goals just don't happen that often. Like it's soccer is not a high scoring sport, which is why people think it's not that exciting, but like there are these peripheral stats that happen all the time that we get fantasy points for. And so you don't necessarily need goals to win cash games. And so you get the guy, you know, these set piece takers could have 12 crosses and five chances created in a game. And that's more than a goal. And so you don't need the goal. So really like we're primarily we're like, we want the set piece takers from the favorites 
And then if you're building tournament lineups, you generally tend to look at the guys who have the, the best high, uh, anytime goal scorer odds, which again, like sports books, you know, we use those for every other sport. And you, when we're playing DFS, like we, you see which games in baseball have the highest run totals, which football games have the highest totals. Like you can do the same thing in soccer and you just prioritize those teams. And in the same way that sometimes teams that are projected for very few runs or points in, in baseball and football, respectively, teams that are low expected to score low in, in soccer sometimes just blow up. And you, those are the contrarian GPP lineups that you see. And so you just generally, the, the kind of basic things are like, you go for the set piece takers and you kind of know that the favored team players are going to be high owned. And so if you are contrarian, you stay away from them. And if you, you know, tend to focus on cash games, then those are the guys you play. And I would assume that most people listening to this, they're probably not interested in registering for cash games. I mean, to be honest, the cash game streets in soccer DFS, I would not advise waiting in. You're, you're probably going to be playing against Paul, against Sean, against Alex. Like it's like, I, I do not play soccer cash games anymore. I did for a long time for years and years. And the, the, it's also not at all like NFL or NBA where like, there's lots of one, two, three, five dollar head to heads. It's like, you're just, you're not really going to find that even, even the guys who play down at that level are pretty good. And you're going to have a lot of overlap. Like the back when DK first started offering um, like champions league and stuff, you know, it'd be in the middle of the week. Sometimes you'd find a guy, you know, a, a no badger in there or something like that. But like, honestly, like I don't even check those lobbies anymore. There could be, there could be a one Oh nine head to head sitting out there against someone who's not any good at soccer DFS. And I would never know. I would never like, you know, I just would never, I would never see it. <laughs> the Another thing is that the number of like cash game, good plays in a slate is very limited. So in a, an 11 man double up, you might have multiple players who are hundred percent owned. You might have four players that are hundred percent owned and three players who are 80% owned. You yeah. might have, you might have one V ones at goalkeepers versus half the player pool. And I mean, there just is not that much skill in predicting the, like the goal, the goalkeeper scoring is, is super volatile in terms of like, you know, a, a clean sheet plus a win can be like 15% of your total points. Like on yeah. a, a random two game uh, Spanish league slate, the, the slate might be zero, zero, you know, but both games or whatever. And the goalkeepers end up like you, you might, you might win or lose based off of like saves or whatever. Yeah. I, I can't in good conscience tell people new to DFS soccer to play cash games. Like it's just the, the names that you mentioned. And I was going to say like, those guys can't play under $5 because they took so much money from all of us already. But even the lower stakes cash games, like those, the, the players are sharp and lineups are generally look the same. And I think the one thing that you can do is look at the cash game lineups. Like if, even if you just go into like the big $5 double up, like you can learn a lot just by looking at the, the way that Pew builds his lineups and stuff like that. And there are a number of, of very, very good players. And I think that what, what highlights how good they've been is that they're still playing like years later. Like these are guys who have dominated DFS soccer cash for years. And so, and they still play just trading rake with each other now, which uh, leads us all to the GPP lineups, but a lower stakes cash, I think is still, there's still enough, but you're right. Like 
the days of finding like a bunch of no badge players in the lobby is just, it's basically gone. And I think it's less because they don't exist and more that they just don't play cash games. They just, people are playing tournaments more. And given the way that, that cash games go in soccer, it, it makes more sense just to play tournaments. I mean, we're kind of seeing that in, in every sport now. I mean, you're uh, you were talking about it for the Gilcast moving to single entry tournaments instead of cash games. And like, that's probably a move that like most people should make just because the, the payoff for the, the work it takes to grind cash might not be worth it anymore. And so in soccer, I think it, it, it qualifies that way, but I think you can also get luckier in soccer. Like you, you can build lineups that have more luck. No, that's a, it's, that is a great thing to say. It's more like baseball in that sense of like, it's, it's an events driven sport and like football is an events driven sport too, like touchdowns, but you know, guys on DraftKings, eight receptions, 120 yards, you get the bonus. Like that's fine. You don't need, you don't need the touchdown. So soccer scoring is very events-based with assists, goals, clean sheets for defenders, clean sheets and wins for goalkeepers. Um, And then there are iterative elements as well, crosses, shots, you know, but even so like, let's say, you know, Kevin De Bruyne, who is pretty much, I would say, like he's, well, Neymar, Neymar would be the best generator of peripheral stats in, in soccer, right? So the best generator of shots the best generator of crosses. You also get points for assisting your teammate in a shot. So if Neymar passes it to me, I bonk it towards the goal and the goalie uh, saves it or whatever. That's, that's up two points for me because I got the shot on goal. And that is one point for Neymar who got the shot assisted. Possibly 1.7 if he crossed it to you. Possibly 1.7. So in a, in a game where Neymar would not have a goal and not have an assist, and he still did all those other things, um, he probably would get, like, what, a maximum of, like, 19, 20 points. Like, sure. it's really – I mean, that you're talking about, like, a really absurd output to get there. And a goal and an assist is 18. So it, it is iterative, but one thing that I have noticed – um, and then I've tried to make more of a mental note of, cause I, again, I hand build all my lineups. I'm, I'm not building them via opt, uh, optim optimizers is to move away from the guys who really have to rely on those dead balls for their points. So like the class, we call this, we call this the DM with sets, right? The defensive midfielder with set pieces. And this is actually more prototypical in English soccer than in other leagues. Like in France, you would not really have a defensive midfielder taking corner kicks or stuff all that often, but it's, it's very, it's very ingrained in the English premier league. Right. So like Newcastle, they have a a bald headed guy by the name of, of John Joe Shelby. It's like the most English name you can imagine. And like, literally this guy will do nothing over the course of a game when the ball is out and being played and passed amongst his teammates. He's literally never doing anything. He's not shooting He's too far away from the goal even to cross, but he will have like a $6,500 salary on DraftKings and people will play him because when the ball goes out of play for a corner kick, he's going to take it. Or if one of his teammates gets hacked over, he's going to be the one sending it towards, towards the goal mouth, right? Like I'm just saying these things as simply as I can. But again, because it's so hard for him to get a goal, I mean, what, maybe his career best output in goals is like five or something like that. Yeah, at best. <clears throat> what what DK has done is they have started to very aggressively price the guys who do take those set pieces, who do take the corner kicks and the free kicks. And so 
again, you know, 2017, 2016, um, you could, you could very much get by playing a ton of those guys who do nothing but do the corner kicks because they were priced at 4,500 or 5,000. And that, that era is kind of gone now, but ownership has not really adjusted to those things. You know, you go open up the Saturday EPL slate and find someone who meets that definition at like $7,000 on DraftKings, and they'll be 35% owned, even if they don't project as reasonable odds to score or assist a goal. Yeah, I think there are a lot of like legacy DFS players who continue to play those guys. And I'm just not sure how profitable it is anymore. Like, I think we're just seeing more upside lineups in cash games. And so those types of players, yeah, the defensive mids who just need the ball to stop in order for them to make any sort of action, they just don't uh, go as much. And so I think the other issue is we have guys who, yeah, if you rely on defensive stats or even ones who like we were saying before we have wingers who like draw a bunch of fouls guys who draw a bunch of fouls have no upside from the foul unless they're taking the free kick and they're usually not but right. I, I forget who it was who who basically opened my eyes to this because I it was probably someone on our podcast but like as I like, know this guy draws like five fouls a game those are good points and it's like but you can't score a goal from drawing a foul like the, the actual action, like the actual result of a foul drawn is for the ball to stop, like play stops. But if you have a guy who shoots a lot, like any shot could become a goal. And so I think we're seeing more lineups now that are, that still prioritize floor, but you, you're, they're prioritizing floor from category, from stat categories that have upside like shots or shots assisted and crosses like those latter two can turn into assists shots can become goals like fouls drawn and any of the defensive stats tackles interceptions like there's just no upside and so you're just not getting enough for it's almost more of an opportunity cost from the position than than the salary yeah and you know honestly like a lot slates are just going to be decided by goals like and and the larger the slate i guess the less important it is that you'd need like the one midfielder who yep. scores a goal like a, a two game a two game slate if random midfielder X scores a goal and you didn't have them just close your laptop down. Like you, you can't win. Uh, Same, same for like, and, and honestly, this is true to scale uh, for big tournaments that they run for the EPL and big tournaments they run for international competitions. If like a center back scores a goal, which is it, that sounds very uncommon, right? So like you're approaching from the outside and you're like, well, how often would a defender really score a goal? The thing is defenders are the only big people that play soccer. Like they they would be really the only ones who'd be like six, four or whatever. So it is fairly common for teams to, you know, aim corner kicks, aim direct free kicks at their center backs. Uh, Harry Maguire for Manchester United, a great example, him and yep. Pogba are the only ones above six feet tall who play for Manchester. Well, Cavani would be, but he doesn't play that much. And so on their set pieces, when they, when they have the ball, they're trying to score a goal from a corner kick. They're going to aim it at Harry Maguire's big fat head because he's the only one who's tall enough to get there. And if Harry Maguire is $3,600 on a DraftKings slate and he scores a goal and Manchester United wins two to zero, you will have like of all in a 20,000 entry tournament, Harry Maguire is like exceedingly likely to be on the winning lineup because production for forwards and midfielders will probably be kind of even. There'll probably be 
five forwards who score between 14 and 18 points, but there will be very few defenders who score more than 10. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think kind of what I was saying before that like cash games, if you focus on the non-goal stats, like GPPs are one with goals. Like there's, there's really no way around it. I think it's really, I mean, it's obviously very highlighted in showdowns because you only have one game. So you could have a game that has one goal in it. And if you don't have that goal, you're probably not winning that, you know, those GPPs. And so, yeah, goals are super important for tournaments and they tend to get overlooked in cash games. But even, like I said, even cash games, people are starting to, you know, if we have a, a Ronaldo slate where it's either Portugal is a huge favorite, you know, with the internationals when they're playing the Faroe Islands and he's like minus 450 to score twice, like he'll be popular in cash, even though you look at it and you're like, oh, if he doesn't score a goal, then he's not going to score that many points. And it's like, it's almost like a guarantee that he scores at least one. And so you're dead if you don't have him. And that Harry Maguire one is uh, example is interesting because we, I'd say most bigger slates have at least one of these like donkey goals, but, yeah. but you know, but people don't play that way. So the no. interesting thing is that people don't play that way. This is, I actually think the game theory for soccer is right now the most underdeveloped. I think most people who play it are not thinking through it in a game theory way. They're thinking, I want to, even the people who are doing 150 max, I think they're thinking, I want to get as many combinations of the good plays as possible with one-off goalkeepers, one-off midfielders, one-off defenders. I don't think they're thinking of like, well, I should play a bunch of lineups with center backs. I should play a bunch of lineups with, forwards on bad teams who have bad goal scoring odds, but are going to be like 3% owned. Like no one, like what, what do you think um, Lucas Mora was owned last week against Manchester city, right? All the Manchester city plays against Spurs were 40%, 50%, 30% owned, but the players against them were not owned at all. And that is the, the haves and have nots is another thing that makes soccer DFS so interesting Cause in American sports, you just really don't have this. I mean, maybe you do in the NHL. I, I wouldn't be an expert on this, but very rarely is a guy on an NFL team or an NBA team going to be in, as, as such an underdog that you would not want to play them given salary constraints. But against some teams in the English premier league, you're like, well, I would never play a, uh, I don't know. I would never play Christian Benteke against Manchester United or whatever. Yeah, no, I think that that's a huge opportunity for some people. And if you are willing to go through the amount of losing that that probably entails to then get this one win that makes it all okay, then soccer is like perfect. But yeah, I think people try to build in correlation that doesn't necessarily exist. They're like, oh, I'll take two forwards from the same team because they'll one will assist to the other. But like the real correlation is more likely to be the set piece taker and the the six, four center back. And people tend to think of that, but it's like, well, maybe if enough people are looking at that, take the six, three center back, because we even see those situations like with um, what we saw in the euros, like Harry Maguire for England was usually pretty popular as popular as like a center back can be because he's a big target in the box. But like if John stones, who is the other center back is a quarter of his ownership of Harry Maguire's ownership, then you absolutely play stones. Like it's two cheap guys and you want the guy who's going to be 2% owned, not the guy who's 14% or 15%, what 
McGuire ends up being. And so I do think like, I think people misunderstand correlation. And so they then take themselves out of building better lineups because they're like, Oh, I have to get these two guys together because if Manchester city crushes, then I just, I want to get all of those guys. But it's sometimes you just need to get like the other guy on the team or just like you said, take the, we, we don't have like runbacks a lot in soccer, but Lucas Moore is the perfect example of that. Um, although they even won that game, but you know, there are times where Manchester city is, you know, a minus 500 favorite, but if they win four, one, that one goal is what separates, you know, if you have that one goal that can separate you hugely because nobody's going to take a forward on, on, you know, a plus 600 fa- uh, underdog. Right. And that, I mean, that would be one of the, like the exploitable things, right. Of, and I guess the reason why soccer is harder is because it also scales and like, you know, there's a huge difference between like single entry tournament strategy and like an MME field, because in single entry, it might still actually be plus expected value to play like Belgium, Kevin De Bruyne at Mm -hmm. 90% ownership. Like he might actually project for so many more points than everyone else because we can guarantee to some extent that the peripheral stats will happen. Um, it's like guaranteeing at bats. Like I can guarantee Kevin De Bruyne puts on that Belgium shirt and he pretty much starts with like eight points. Like right. he can't really do worse than that. And of course he's got upside for like, you know, I mean, and also like little sequences, like this is so weird, but I, I remember little things like Antoine Griezmann, the first time he took over sets for France, we didn't know it was going to happen. And so I, none of us played him. Um, and there was a, a series of events where he took four corner kicks in a row and it kept deflecting out. So it, he kept getting the points and it, he, he got like five and a half points in like 90 seconds of yeah. real time or something. And it's like, you know, it's hard to control for stuff like that, which is why it's a, a wild game, but I, you know, Kevin De Bruyne at 55% in, you know, uh, Manchester city four game EPL slate, like then I don't know, maybe you don't want to actually play. Maybe you'd rather play 20% of him and just hope that he gets like, hope that even at 10,000, hope he gets 21 points with an assist or something. But like, okay, Gundogan, his teammate scores the goal. His teammate gets 18, but he was cheaper. So you used him to like pay up for goalie or defender or something like that. Yeah. The, the, the cool thing about soccer in that respect is you can make up points really quickly with a goal. Like a guy could do absolutely nothing, but all of a sudden he comes up on a, on a free kick and heads in a goal. And he went from zero to 12 like that. Whereas you've have guys like De Bruyne, who's like grinding all game to get to 12, 15, but you can make that up very quickly. And so like tournament wise, if a guy who needs to do all of these things, to, you know, even if they do all of those things in every game, you can just get one guy to get his big fat head on the ball and you're, you're like right back in it because that's your 12 points. Like right away. Yeah. No, like event driven. It is like you said, it's just, those events are really important and the smaller the slate, the more important they are. So how would you think about correlations? Like, all right, I'm going to build 150 teams for EPL this Saturday. I, I think the, the ways I would think about correlation would be a few So one, it would be what you already mentioned, which is like the center backs with the set piece taker. Um, So let's go Manchester United, Bruno Fernandes and Harry Maguire. There you go. That's a goal combination that you could expect. I also think 
there's this very hidden correlation of defenders against the opposing goalkeeper. Cause there's this very interesting thing that happens in soccer that again, does not happen in other American sports, which is game effects. Well, you know, it does happen in NFL a little bit, right? So if your team's down 21, zero, they're going to stop running the ball. And I would say like, basically the same thing happens in soccer, where if you're down two zero after 12 minutes, you're not going to be patiently passing the ball forward. You're going to be crossing the ball a lot. Your defenders are going to be far up the field trying to score. So I think like, okay, you take uh, Aaron Ramsdale, uh, right? I, I, I just made Sheffield United. Sheffield United yeah. goes up 1-0 against Brentwood. The Brentwood defenders are going to be positively correlated in terms of fantasy points scored. Even though they lose the clean sheet bonus, they will be naturally in a more attacking position for the rest of the game. Yeah, so there's there's like a lot that that you can think about in that respect. The the team that goes up two nothing also, you know, if you go up two nothing in in twelve minutes, your attacking stats are pr- pretty much dead for the rest of that game because the idea is like we're going to hold on to the lead, and holding on to the lead doesn't include like bombing forward and taking shots, but it does include the other team doing it. And I think that's that's a really interesting one because most people are like, oh, I'll take the goalie and his defenders because like I'll get the, all the clean sheet points, but like clean sheet points aren't nearly as important in DFS as they are uh, kind of in like season long games. And so, yeah, the, the idea of like who, who is going or who are going to be the players who are now have to attack as much as possible if this team falls behind. And yeah, it's usually the, the fullbacks on a lot of teams, or at least those like the wingers that are like, we're losing now. So now we have to get back into it. And that everything that they do, can end up benefiting the goalie of the winning team because now they're taking a bunch of shots. And so the goalie has save upside there. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's an interesting correlation that is definitely not played nearly enough. Uh, and I think part of it is just that people don't like playing players on underdogs. Like I, the, this idea that like, Oh, they're underdogs. So I can't play them. They're not going to do anything. It's like soccer. There's too much that goes on in a soccer game out, you know, outside of the goals that, People are just like, nope, they're an underdog. I'm not going to play them. But if your team is a favorite and they get up, even if they get up big, it's possible that the guys you have from that team weren't part of the goals. And now they're just kind of trying to pass the game out. And it's actually the underdog team that's generating all these fantasy points because they're trying to get back in the game. And so, yeah, like game script is huge is just unfortunately with soccer, it's very difficult to like project that early. Like we know if a team in football, like should get crushed. And the, you know, the underdog quarterback's going to probably have to throw 65 times in soccer. It's like, we know which team should do well, but it's usually not like a six, nothing game. And frankly, you get to a point where the score is big enough and the other team just gives up. Like you, there's nothing, you, know, you don't want to have to like try to fight back from like a five, nothing deficit, like teams, we do see it teams just give up. And so the, you know, basically like close underdogs, I think are, are vastly underlooked uh, in DFS soccer. Yeah, no, I, I think that you are, I think that you are certainly right about that. I mean, so I guess if I had to summarize it, I would say some of the inefficiencies that I see in ownership right now are underdog goal scoring players that are very good. So like Danny Ings for mm-hmm. Southampton last year, um, and he's on Aston Villa now, again, not that important if you are, if you're just coming to things now, then center backs on good teams 
like Harry Maguire, who we mentioned, uh, actually probably less on Manchester city because they don't cross the ball on their set pieces a lot. So like John stones and, um, Ruben Diaz, I would be less. And then also honestly, underdog goalkeepers, right? Because underdog goalkeepers actually have so much variance in their favor because when they do hit there, like when, when an underdog team does win, it's very likely that not only will I get the 10 points for the clean sheet and the win, but they're also going to get a bunch of saves, right? Like if, um, if Brentwood beats Arsenal, right? What, what did, what did their goalie get? Like 18, I think, I think he had four saves. So like one, you're not dead anyways, because they can get like a guy can let up, uh, Who's the red star goalie? This every Champions League slate. Oh, yeah. This guy, Mile Rodnak, he would get like eleven saves a game. His team would get crushed. They'd lose five one, but he'd end up cranking out like eight points. Um, and and the DK salary does not capture that upside at all because the the pricing structure is just based on Vegas odds. It's like, yeah. uh, it it would be like if starting pitchers for baseball, if it wasn't adjusted based on skill, it was just based on Vegas price. So if Garrett Cole is a, a plus 150 underdog, he can't be more than 9,000 or whatever. Right. Yep. Um, so like that, that actually probably, if I was going to tell you what strategy is most likely to either run you completely out of money or get you a bonk in your first couple weeks playing, it would be play like the two cheapest goalies on the slate as your goalkeeper. And that's all. <clears throat> yeah. So I think it's, generally believed that goalkeeper scoring is awful. Like, I I don't want to like say it that way, but like the variance is so absurd sometimes, but like you said, the prices are always based off of, off the game odds. And so I think one of the tournament strategies that people tend to avoid is playing like the second cheapest goalie. Like people always play the cheapest goalie because like, because the variance is so high and if they crush, then you, you have all the salary to spend up for the other spots, but those guys tend to actually be kind of popular because of the salary savings, but there's always another one who's like 200 or 400 more and nobody plays them, even though like theoretically the variance possibility is just as high, but they don't give you like the maximum salary relief that you can use elsewhere. And so I think playing like literally just like the next most expensive guy from the bottom is just one that's overlooked and not that we see goalies that are so absurdly high, but like, if you're literally trying to win GPPs, you're going to have to get the highest scoring goalie. And there's just no way to predict it. Like we joke on our, on our podcast, like the, it's the most important position. And it's like the one that you spend the least amount of time thinking about because the variance is so high that like, no matter what research you put in or what information you have, like, it just, it doesn't matter. It, it could be any guy. And it's a lot of it is just based on like what happens early. If a big underdog scores early first, right. Then the, you know, just like you said, the big favorite's going to just start peppering shots. If they happen to have that clean sheet. I mean, we've seen like bonkers scores from goalies sometimes and it's the cheapest guys. Cause they happen to be a, you know, plus three fifty underdog, but like those hit sometimes. And so that's why people play them. Yeah. So I, I guess that is a lot of discussion on, on how to play. Uh, some other broad level thoughts would be EPL, pretty easy to get information on. You know, uh, of course, they'll have their stuff over at Rotowire. 
there are projections there. There, there's content there. There's free content. I mean, if you Google EPL DFS plays or whatever, you can get some of that stuff. Rotogrinders has a package. I think it's very fun. It's probably more fun to play a single entry a couple times just to kind of get your feet wet and figure it out. But I, I think of this space as being pretty exploitable still. I don't think anyone is playing close to like game theory optimal with their 150 mix or, or anything like that. Um, Transfer market, very good site for figuring out who players are who scored.com for game previews. So like, Oh, I'm trying to set my lineups up. There's more games later in the day. It's a staggered start. Who scored will have like previews of the games. You can find some player stats there and stuff. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, I mean, you just kind of, kind of got have to get your hands dirty a little bit too. Yeah. I would say like, if, if you literally are just jumping in, like the premier league, just content wise, there's just so much more premier league content. And so it's easy to, to ingest it all and just be like, Oh, I, I recognize those. When you go to build your lineups, you're going to see players that you recognize because people were talking about them. But you'll also notice that a lot of the content just centers around the same guys, because ultimately we're all kind of looking at the right set piece takers and the goal, you know, whoever has the goal odds, like lineups aren't like drastically different, particularly in cash games. But I think, yeah, premier league and champions league, just because there's so much more content available, if you're going to dive in, like that's where, that's where you should dive in. Yeah. All right. I do want to real quick here. We don't need to keep you forever, but I let's, let's do 10, 15 minutes on so rare. So basically so rare is a combination uh, NFT fantasy game. It's, it's more, it's, it basically, it's kind of like if top shot, if there was a functional fantasy game with it, though the format is to me more successful, kind of better thought out, um, so give me, give me the, uh, give me the top, the, the so rare elevator pitch right now. So, so rare fundamentally is a fantasy soccer game where you use NFTs. And I think that's like the easiest way to put, to explain it. And I had like no NFT or crypto experience before playing so rare. And I pretty much have, I have still no outside so rare NFT or crypto experience, but Fundamentally, you buy these cards and you use those cards in the fa- in their fantasy game, and you own these cards forever. I mean, it's kind of the the whole draw with NFTs. There's a certain scarcity uh, to these cards, and you can use them in different tournaments. But I, I kind of tried to explain in an article I wrote last week or two weeks ago that was essentially was like if picture yourself playing DFS soccer. And you spend $8,000 on a slate for uh, Bruno Fernandez. Uh, he's actually a bad example because James Ward Press, I'll use him. Sorry for those people who don't know. It's probably better that you've never heard of this guy anyway. But you spend $8,000 on James Ward Press because he's playing the worst, the, the worst team in the league, or excuse me, the best team in the league. So he's priced down. But next week, he's playing the worst team in the league and you get to play him for the same salary. Like that would be great. And that's right. basically how so rare works. You, you buy these cards and you buy them through either auctions or a secondary market. And then you can use those cards in, in their tournaments, which are all free to enter. So the only cost is the cost of these cards. And what's interesting is that the, the fantasy game is like truly the foundation of what they do. Like the NFTs are like how you play the fantasy game. It's not like the fantasy game is what, it, it's not like, the, how am I going to put this as clearly as I can for a very complicated thing? But basically 
the NFT, it feels like the NFTs were created for the fantasy game and not the other way around. And so the value of these cards is correlated to how uh, effective these players are in the fantasy game. So if a guy scores really well, his cards are going to be more expensive, even if there's another guy who happens to be more famous, but doesn't necessarily, um, doesn't score as well. So like I, when I first joined the platform, they, I bought like an Alfonso Davies card and Alfonso Davies plays for Bayern Munich. He's like one of the up and coming stars of, of world soccer. Right. And there were other guys who were like goalies from the Turkish league that I'd never heard of that were more expensive than Alfonso Davies. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense because I know who Alfonso Davies is. I have no idea who this guy is in Turkey, but it's like, no, 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 this guy in Turkey is more expensive because he's better in the game. And and there's like a weird thing with goalies where like under 23 goalies were super valuable for a while because they fit in both games, yeah, which is so, actually something I'm familiar with from playing ultimate team. Yeah. So ultimate team, a lot of people uh, kind of try to compare it to ultimate team. I think the major difference is that, and I, I'll be honest, I don't play ultimate team, but it's my understanding that the end never of the start, season, never yeah. start buddy. It's my understanding that if at the end of the season, you basically lose everything that you bought. Yeah. You could have spent, you could have spent $4,000 on the game and you're, and by the way, probably some years when DFS is going, well, I probably have spent $4,000 on these, (laughs) on these dumb things. So, so rare is, is uh, I I've already committed to not playing ultimate team in 2022. So I I'm, if, if I do end up doing so rare, it will be with my ultimate team money. All right. So that's great because so basically so rare is, the similarities are that you buy players and you use them in competitions. The difference, the major difference is that you own this, these cards forever. And however long that the player is playing, you can use those cards in a tournament and even like better. If they switch leagues, you can continue to use that card as long as it's in one of the kind of the major leagues that are covered. They cover about, I think it's 25 leagues at this point. So the odds that you end up with a card that, of a player that goes to a league that isn't covered is is pretty low, but basically it's a fantasy game with these cards and the more cards you buy, the more tournaments you can enter. They have different regions. So you can play all the guys in Europe, all the guys in the Americas, like it's all together and you compete to either win more cards or you win Ethereum, Ethereum, which I realize like some people don't care about the crypto aspect of it. I, I get it. Uh, I've gotten into Ethereum only because of so rare, but you can use that Ethereum to either buy more cards. Nice, nice little tertiary benefit. You're, you're getting, you're getting rich because of so rare. (laughs) Right. Um, But I mean, the, I've spoken to a number of people about this. Um, Sean Newsham, like PSU fans is, is a big so rare player. We, we talk all the time about it and we kind of have always looked at it as like a, it's a way to accumulate Ethereum. Uh, because you can win these cards and you can sell them for Ethereum. And if you think Ethereum is going to go up in the future, then accumulating more now makes sense. And if you can do it by buying these cards and winning cards, you can sell for Ethereum, then that's just a a plus. And so if you are somebody who like, I'm going to sell my cards and withdraw my Ethereum right away, like that's fine. There are plenty of people who do that, but effectively it's a fantasy game where you can win the, the long term is you can win Ethereum. And there was a, I had a conversation the other day about how, and, and this kind of applied to Top Shot also, very few people withdraw. And 
there are very different reasons why people don't withdraw from Top Shot and why they don't withdraw from So Rare. But I was ever there were a number of DFS people came in and they were like, Yeah, well, I have to, it takes me a while to like earn Ethereum on So Rare to eventually withdraw. And then like my response is like, how often are you realistically withdrawing from DraftKings? Like a lot of people just have a bunch of money lot, on DraftKings. A lot of people just hit that old deposit button. Right, I mean, yeah, I, even better, right? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I've been playing on DraftKings like what feels like my entire life, and I've probably withdrawn like four times ever. <laughs> exactly. And and I, I think that's one of the things that pushed people off. Like there are a number of DFS people who like reached out to me when So Rare started getting up. And they were like, and I was like, this is how you win cards. You sell them for Ethereum, and then you can just accumulate Ethereum. And they were like, yeah, but I want to be able to like withdraw it. And it's like, well, you can always withdraw it, but like you don't like it because it doesn't feel as liquid as, as DraftKings and FanDuel, but like really how often are you withdrawing from those sites? You're, you're just like plugging the money back in, which is not a bad thing. Like we all do it. And it's right. just a way to like accumulate more dollars in DraftKings. You're just accumulating more Ethereum in SoRare. And so the, I, I think the the two are very similar, but it's, it makes us like, have to look at ourselves a little differently to realize how similar they are. Because if you're somebody who like withdraws from DraftKings every week, then like bravo to you. But I don't think most people do that. And so not necessarily doing that on so rare shouldn't be like a, a reason not to join. Yeah, no, I, I think that, I think that's pretty reasonable. Um, I guess. So th- these are, these are my things. One the barrier to entry in terms of like buying like really good cards, very high. Now yes. I could, I could go on and I could buy uh, a Korean, a Jupiler league winger for what? 90 bucks, probably, sure. you know, something yeah. like that. And I could put together a little bit of a team. And, and honestly, the barrier of entry to the game is not that hard. Like I, I kind of pieced to because you can get, you can get a free team. Right. And I pieced together the free team and did the whole thing. I, the, the, I mean, the barrier is, is this, is that you don't want to spend 500 bucks on putting together a little bit of a team and then be dusted and then like not have the motivation to keep going and kind of figuring it out. I, and I think that's totally reasonable to think that way. And the way that we have tried to explain it is what if I told you, you could deposit $3,000 into DraftKings today and play forever. Right. Like yeah, that that's what's, fun. that's, what's really cool. Yeah. So it, it's like, we say like the contests are free to enter, but like you can't enter without buying these cards. So like, <clears throat> excuse me, you're basically paying your entry fees up front, which a lot of people don't want to do that. Cause like you said, like you get dusted and then you don't want to play anymore. But like the difference is that you still own your cards. So like in the end, you could always like sell your cards back. Like in DraftKings, if you just go in and deposit a bunch of money, yeah, it's not it a, it's quickly, not a, it's gone. not a zero sum game. Right, right, and so at least not for your yourself. Obviously, if you know somebody's buying your card, and so there's money transferred. But yes, basically that's that's the the key, and I think the the financial entry point is is difficult for them to get new players. So they introduced. Well, let me backtrack a second. So. For every player, they come out with 111 cards every year. They have this 100 rare cards, 10 super rare, and one unique. And they Mm -hmm. look a little different. And you have to like, 
you have to believe in NFTs to believe why a, a two cards that look almost the same, but one is blue and one is red of why right. that's a vastly different valued card. But if you, if you're into NFTs, like that's a concept you can get, <clears throat> excuse me. So they just came out with a one of a thousand, which when I see like the numbers for other NFTs, like particularly Top Shot, and I'll be honest, I never got into Top Shot. And so I, I can't really speak intelligently about it, but I just know that the numbers are so much higher. Like the, the fact that the, right now, like there are only 1,000 or there will be 1,111 like Ronaldo cards this year. Like that's a right. low number. Yes. And the benefit is that it's, there are so many soccer teams throughout the world and they, they basically and so many to, leagues and so many players and it's on yeah. all the time, like 12 months a year, we have soccer, whether, you know, the individual leagues don't play 12, but like during the, the summer when the Euro leagues are off, we have MLS and J league and K league, which are Japan and Korea. And then the European leagues start up like there, there's just yeah. always soccer going on. And so I think one of the problems that top shot had was like, there's an off season. And people aren't as excited about the NBA during the off season and soccer like just keeps on rolling. But, but basically, yeah, you own these NFTs and the new scarcity, this one of a thousand is significantly cheaper. And so I think that's going to be an easier way for people to get involved because you're absolutely right. Like that, the, the cost is a humongous barrier of entry previously. And I think this new scarcity at least will help that because more cards just means each one is, is a little cheaper. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I totally agree with you on the mint size. Okay. One of the things that, so like, there's like this concept of like rookie cards, which actually doesn't make any sense to me from a high level. Like I would think like in traditional sports cards, like, Oh, I'd want LeBron from an MVP year, or I'd want Nolan Arenado from his best season or whatever. But that's I, I think it's literally just like a mental capacity thing where it's like the only card I care about is the first card. Um, and that's what people are obsessed with. Do you see that impact in, in so rare? So the, the collectability side of so rare isn't nearly as big as I think it will be. Uh, obviously like the one of a hundreds or one of tens, one of a thousands, like those are more expensive than the, you know, the next ones that come about the, the Jersey number mints are sometimes more popular. It's one of those things that like I bought a few without realizing that they were Jersey mints. And so like that alone should be like, there's no premium on at least certain players. Like the, the superstar players are more expensive and they're one of whatever's will be expensive and their Jersey numbers are going to be expensive, but not yeah. nearly as much, but yeah, the collectability side just hasn't taken over yet. We had, there was this like huge boom in March where like Gary V came in and started buying certain cards and there was Griezmann like, Griezmann bought his card right Griezmann bought the card and so that's another cool thing is that they so rare his partner has like actual real life soccer players that are playing the game and so we have this weird thing where people are selling cards like this card used to be owned by Antoine Griezmann and it's like okay does that matter and it's like well it doesn't have to matter to everybody it just has to matter to one person who is one willing person. to spend a little extra for it and so um but yeah, the collectability side, that doesn't, it's not quite as big yet. Uh, although like the little things like the one of whatever's are, are, you know, people like those, but, but it continues to be that like the value in the game is going to be more than uh, the collectability side. And I think it's just because they're, they're new. Like the, the game is, they, 
I don't even think they've been around for two years. And so they've just had this, like, to use a crypto term, like it's a rocket ship basically. Yeah. And so, um, and, and what's weird is that there's been this significant growth and it still doesn't feel like it's like totally rocket rocketed yet. And so this new scarcity is trying to, is basically getting people excited that we, we could see it. Yeah. I, so I, I love the idea. And I've said this on the show a bunch of times because Burnbot came on and he's in yeah. the, he's into Sower too. So like people don't need to hear my spiel on it anymore. I need to just like, I honestly, I need to take a day off of my job and, and just like sit down and be like, okay, I'm buying this dude from the Jupiler league, this goalie from the K league, this guy from the English championship. Like I just need to figure it out, set some money aside and do it. So that's going to, I'm going to officially add that to my list of things uh, to do. I don't know, sometime over the next month or something. I was going to say, knowing your schedule or at least the content that you produce, doing it during football season is a terrible idea. So, okay, I'll put it on the calendar for February. I was going to say, we're all going to be filthy rich by then is the problem. So you probably shouldn't wait for that reason. But um, but yeah, like it it sucks you in. Like you can, there's a lot that you can try to do and uh, it just, it takes time. And if you can find that time now, I highly suggest it, but it's, it takes some time. I'm happy to help you though. Yeah. All right. Well, there we go. I will take you up on that. <laughs> um, everyone follow Andrew on Twitter at Rotowire, at Rotowire Andrew or at Rotowire Andrew Laird. Uh, just Andrew at Rotowire oh. Andrew. There we go. At Rotowire Andrew. Uh, if you don't want to, you don't want to break the bank. I think Rotowire, I think it's like what, like 15 bucks a month or something like that. It's, it's like five bucks a month. It's like five bucks. A month. It, there we go. It should be fifty. It should be more. I'll put it. It down. should be. It should be more. You're ruining my games. You're ruining yeah. the contest. <laughs> um, so you can, you can get the soccer product. You can listen to the podcast for free. And uh, yeah, we will be back next week with another episode. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.